You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. You have tuned in into 3CR's program, Behind Closed Doors. This program explores all topics related to sex work. We give sex workers and allies a comfortable space to share their experiences. We also appreciate questions from the general public. Behind Closed Doors aim to uncover what the sex industry is really like. Our program exists to bridge the gaps. Please be mindful this program is not suitable for little years as there may also be explicit language use. Please connect with us on Twitter at bcd3cr or email us at bcd3cr at gmail.com. Hi everyone and welcome to Behind Closed Doors on 3CR 855 AM and digital. I've got Kitty Galore with me today and we're going to explore the contentious use of council rates to sniff out sex workers. Hi Kitty. Hi Sassy. Oh boy. I don't know where to begin. Uh... I didn't believe it when I first heard it. You know, it's really hard to imagine a world where local council uses its rates to investigate illegal brothels, to quote, undertake activities necessary for the purposes of gathering evidence. Greenbank City Council published minutes which show the council initially referred illegal brothels to the police in accordance with the Sex Work Act. However, on the 21st of May 2019, the council changed their illegal brothels policy. This is what the policy says. Part B, to engage independent investigators to investigate illegal brothels in Brimbank with the intent to close down illegal operation in cooperation with Victoria Police. We also know that on 15 September 2020, Lisa from Sex Work Law Reform Victoria put a number of questions to Brimbank Council at their monthly meeting. The council revealed how much they spent on illegal brothel but wouldn't indicate whether private investigators actually had sex with sex workers as part of their evidence gathering. And just so our listeners are aware, we have made an effort to invite Brimbank City Council to appear on our show, but they've declined that interview request. Never mind that, because we actually did one better, and we've invited Dean Hurlston, the president of Ratepayers Victoria. Ratepayers Victoria is an advocacy group which helps ratepayers achieve better outcomes from their councils, and they also lobby for less waste in council spending. Welcome to the show, Dean. Thank you. So let's start off with the basics. People who own properties in Victoria have to pay annual taxes to their local councils. And obviously, this is based on the value of the property that they own. It means bigger houses, more rates are paid. And these taxes are known as rates, and the people who pay these taxes are called ratepayers. Yes, that's correct. And it's often a misconception that ratepayers are only owners, whilst they may be the person paying the rates. What a lot of people forget is that renters often have the cost of rates at least partially factored into their rent. And, and renters are paying for many of the services that councils actually provide in the state of Victoria, is that in the $10 billion that councils collect per year, rates income is only about 50 to 60% of that. The rest of the income that councils collect is in user fees and charges. If you go to a library or to a pool, you pay. That is not something that comes directly out of rates revenue alone. 
Mm. So I imagine based on what you just said, both renters and homeowners should want to ensure the rates spent responsibly by councils. Absolutely. One of the things that we see is a very, very different pattern across different councils. So in some of the regional councils, they can barely afford to keep their roads and footpaths up to date because they have such low levels of income, because they have low levels of population and very big geographical areas to cover. When it comes to the higher density in a metropolitan councils, we see many of them, like the city of Stonington and Port Phillip, uh, having very large surpluses. What that means is, in some cases, up to $50 million in the bank at the end of the year that they haven't spent, that they then decide to spend on very large projects that arguably don't necessarily deliver much to the entire ratepayer and resident base. So you have a very, very unfair and inequitable system across Victoria. Some councils struggling for the basics and some flush with cash and wasting it. Wow, that is absolutely mind-blowing. You know, Sassy and I were just earlier in the show discussing about how Brimbank City Council have been hiring private investigators to do God knows what inside massage parlours. And to quote them, the private investigators have been hired to do whatever is necessary to expose illegal brothels. And that quote in itself makes me very upset, you know, because depending on what they're actually doing, I personally want to know that my rates aren't funding the rape of sex workers. Absolutely. Couldn't agree with you more. One of the things that we would be appalled by is any council using ratepayer funds to actually do things that are not their legal responsibility and are far outside their jurisdiction. If there is any illegal sex work or any exploitation of a sex worker, it is not a matter for councils to be getting involved in. All it does is stigmatise sex work and it just further alienates people from understanding what the real issues are. This is a disgusting abuse of ratepayer funds and it's a disgusting abuse of going outside of the powers and jurisdictions that ratepayers expect of their local council. I mean, Brimbank is notorious for not spending enough on the core services, yet it has time to be wasting council paid, ratepayer paid staff going after you know, the goings on in a brothel. That is absolutely nothing to do with them. If there is anything illegal, it is a state police matter and it is only ever appropriate for state police to actually oversee that, investigate and do what's necessary. If there is, as, as we constantly hear, a lack of resources in the state police department for this, then that's a matter for anyone but council. That's a state politician, a state political agenda. It is nothing to do with councils and it's absolutely disgusting. I want to go to the amendment of the Sex Work Act in 2011. And to my knowledge, this act clarifies that Victoria Police are the authority responsible to investigate suspected illegal brothels. So based on what you've just said, are the local councils justified in using ratepayers' money to pay private investigators to snoop for illegal brothels? Absolutely not. This is just outrageous behaviour by council staff who are obviously under pressure because someone in the community may be complaining or alleging these things are going on. That's appropriate for Victoria Police. If anyone in council wastes one dollar on this absolute utter garbage, then they shouldn't be working for local government. Local government has no right or responsibility in this area. 
they should simply refer the matter straight back to Victoria Police and allow them to do what they are meant to. Other than that, local council staff should focus on what they are paid to do. And it's got nothing to do with trying to entrap, oversee or uncover illegal sex work. It is just not their responsibility. Tune into the station that gives voices to sex workers. Subscribe to 3CR. Jean, you're the president of Ratepayers Victoria. Can you please tell us more about what Ratepayers Victoria does and the core values of the organisation? Sure. So as you said, lower rates. For us, we think that you know, rates over the last 10, 20 years have just exponentially risen. And what we see as councils every year, we do have what's called a rate cap that usually is around two or two and a half percent per annum. But what a lot of people don't understand is the council is not constrained by that rate cap, except on existing homes. So there is in every council, particularly in a metropolitan Melbourne councils where they are growing very fast with new development, there is no restriction on the number of new ratepayers and the amount of revenue they can raise outside the rate cap. The rate cap of only 2% per year in you know, raising your rates is only applicable to existing homes. So what we see is councils constantly raising rates and services and the benefit of that income not necessarily raising at the same time. We are huge on waste and reducing waste. Um, we see some of the most extraordinary expenditure, and you've highlighted a very clear example today, on consultants and people that actually deliver nothing to the community or are way outside the remit of a local council. Now, local councils are given their power by the state government, and they are there to deal with grassroots local issues. The way your street looks, the amount of parks you have, pet services, libraries, all of those things that we expect in a local community. They are not there to be doing things that are outside their remit. And quite often, local councils are the first to complain that they are being asked to do many things. And yet here we find them in this example at Brimbank, straying happily into something that's not their problem. It is wasteful, it is shameful, and they need to stop it. Uh, and the other part that we advocate for obviously uh, less waste and more accountability. As you would know, trying to uncover this kind of information through council offices, paperwork and council meetings is incredibly difficult. Councils don't like giving FOI information out and in many cases they will fight it at all costs. And what we're concerned about is that public money must be transparent. All decisions must be transparent unless they are of an extremely confidential nature. So we advocate across the state, there are 79 councils, we advocate for all ratepayers to make sure that they're heard, that they have access to how their money is spent, why their money is spent and why decisions are made. That's really what we're about. As we've already discussed, Brimbank City Council voted to start paying private investigators. These investigators then enter suspected illegal brothels to gather evidence to find out whether or not sexual services are being provided. Dean, these are really hard questions, but how do you think that's being done? Do they just inquire at the front desk or are they booking in for massages and then finding out directly if sexual services are offered? Because from my understanding, massage parlours don't tell you about adult services at the front desk. So I would suggest what they are doing is they are asking a private contractor, much like a you know private investigator style contractor, to go in there and to not initially ask in that you know reception or booking period when they're coming in for the massage, to go in there 
as an ordinary customer to look at the sorts of numbers of customers going through. I know the sorts of things they look at is how are the massage staff dressed? How is the facility run? Are the windows able to be seen in or is it very clear that they're covered for a reason? Um, all of those sorts of things that might give small clues and indicators that there may be something nefarious going on. But here's where I think they've strayed way too far. They must be instructing those investigative uh, contractors to go in and assume that they are having a massage and elicit some sort of response. Now, what I'd be concerned about here is, it's one thing for a worker to voluntarily offer those services, and perhaps that may be illegal. It is another thing to elicit or seduce or entrap somebody to give you that response. And I would be very concerned that unless this information was in the public view to understand what happened and whether it was recorded so that there was factual evidence of what happened, I would be very concerned that very many massage workers were being entrapped, falsely accused, or you know, perhaps tried to be convicted on hearsay. Now that's disgusting behaviour. One, we said it's not council's problem, it's not their responsibility. Two, that just further demonises and stigmatises people who may be vulnerable and may actually have offered it because they may have been induced to offer that kind of service or coerced in some way. And I want to speak to that too, because I've had personal experiences as a sex worker where clients do push me uh, to offer services that I don't offer, actually. But it's only because I am aware of my rights as a sex worker that I can say no. So, you know, Dean, you do raise a really good point that sex workers are constantly barraged and induced by clients so that the client can get what they want. And oftentimes you do have sex workers who are a bit unsure about their rights as a sex worker who then fall prey to offering services that they would never usually offer. The only way that we can have a safe world is understanding each other in our difference, limiting the economic disparities between peoples of the world, and not saying that some people deserve dignity and respect and others don't. They're the pathways to safety and security, and we need to have the courage to say we have to continue to have those complex dialogues about how we move forward so that the values of diversity and inclusivity are in everybody's hearts and maybe even the hearts of politicians. Welcome back. You're listening to Behind Closed Doors. We've got Dean Hurlston, who's the president of Rate Payers Victoria. My name is Kitty Galore, and we'll be interviewing Dean along with my co-host, Sassy Sin. So, Dean, we've already established that, you know, councils need to use their rates within the scope of what council has been asked to do. And Brimbank City Council is one of those councils who have been spending money outside of their scope. According to one of Brimbank City Council's meeting minutes, indicate that a cost of prosecution of illegal brothels costs between $3,000 to $4,000 per independent investigator. And there's fees of additional $2,500 in solicitor's fees. Since May 2019, Brimbank City Council has spent $12,110 prosecuting seven illegal brothels. What other services or infrastructure do you think the council could be better spending these amounts of money on? Well, certainly one of the things that COVID has highlighted is our need for open space, our need for up 
upgraded infrastructure in our parks and gardens and certainly, you know, kids' playgrounds. More than ever, those essential services are what council needs to focus its spending on. We know from Brimbank and perhaps other councils is that we are talking about many, many times that this is being done on a regular basis. And ultimately what it's doing is it's cost-shifting a state government police responsibility into the hip pocket of ratepayers and residents who arguably are then being, uh, for want of a better word, robbed of uh, essential services. That might be street sweeping, it might be better lighting in the local shopping precinct, it might be updated footpaths and roads. Those things are the basics and that is what councils should worry about first. This absolute garbage of them straying into putting people under surveillance to try and catch out dodgy sex workers, they may call it, is literally wasting everyone's time. It's wasting their staff's time and it's just none of their business. I agree with you, Dean. Council needs to spend money on essentials and amenities. Absolutely. I mean, if I ran a shoe store in a local council area, are they going to come in and inspect my stockroom and try and catch me out for maybe, you know, selling the wrong pair of shoes? It is just not their business. Absolutely not. I've got a really good question, which I'm dying to know the answer to. How can I find out whether my own local council is spending money wisely? So the best thing that you can do is jump onto your council's website and look at their either their annual report or if they've uh, got a section on rates on their website, you can actually look at where rates money generally is spent year on year. What you'll be horrified to know is that the single largest expense of a council is their staff. Now, that's normal for most businesses, but most councils have a labour cost of up to double any other business metric. So what we get concerned about there is that doesn't necessarily translate into to delivery of services. It often means, you know, up to a thousand staff in a building doing the work of council, but what does that mean to me in my street? Often we only see, you know, street sweepers, parks and gardens people, and maybe a librarian or someone working at a local pool. But if there's a thousand staff, and certainly Brimbank has very large staff numbers, if there's a thousand staff in my council, I always ask the question, what is it that they're actually all doing? And quite often they're working on the internal business of council, not the outworking of services in our streets. Is that to indicate that they are working on how they can increase rates or how they can make more money from us ratepayers? Yeah, well, I think it's really interesting you talk about, you know, how how are they working on making more money? Some of the bigger things that councils make their revenue on are things like parking fines. Now, no one likes getting a parking fine, but you know, some councils uh, generate five to $20 million a year on their balance sheet just from parking fines. We saw only this year just gone that the ombudsman released a report, which we were proud to have been the whistleblower on, that for 10 years, a number of councils across Melbourne were actually illegally rejecting the appeal of motorists who had been fined, resulting in around $20 million of parking fines having to be refunded. Now, the problem we have with this is that what councils have been continually doing is whilst the rates revenue is capped at 2% per year, fees and charges are not. There is no capping regime whatsoever. So if a council simply decides to increase its parking fee from, say, $60 to $120, it can. And ultimately, all it is doing is adding many, many tens of millions of dollars back into its annual budget that it can then go off and spend however it likes. What we get concerned about there is a constant gouging 
of locals, traders, residents, visitors, just to make more money. It has to have a balance and COVID hopefully has started that conversation. Many councils are now struggling because of course, with everybody working at home, there's less parking fines. I'm so glad that you're fighting for this cause because I believe that as rate payers, we won't mind paying rates if we see the rates going into the outward improvement of our residential areas, as you've said before, like if they're fixing potholes, improving playgrounds, building residential enjoyment in those areas, then that's okay. But if rate payers are concerned, their consoles might be spending money to private investigators to have sex inside illegal brothels. What do you suggest these rate payers do? So I'd suggest that people write to council first and ask them some questions and see what kind of response they get. And those questions really just need to be around, has council in the last 10 years ever used a private contractor for these matters? If council writes back and says yes, then I would start asking for FOI information on what, how, when and who. Uh, and further, the other way you could check at a local council level is perhaps if you were to look at any of the local courts registrars, you might be able to find some cases where council had prosecuted these people they had perhaps entrapped or um, put under surveillance. And that then might lead you to where to go back to and look at the dates that these things may have occurred. In most cases, when you're dealing with a local magistrate's court issue, which is where council would take it, you can get a reasonable amount of information quite freely from the magistrate's court and then track that back to the council that may be the applicant uh, going after the individual person. That's really a good advice. Sex workers, along with the LGBTQIA plus community, often face judgment and stigma. So Dean, you are openly gay. Yes. And did you face any judgment or stigma when you first approached rape payers, Victoria? Look, I don't know that I openly faced judgment or stigma, but I certainly raised a few eyebrows. And that tends to be because generally the ratepayer community takes a bit of time, a bit of volunteer work, and generally volunteers in our community can often quite be a little bit older than the average, you know, uni student who's really, really busy studying or, you know, juggling three jobs. So what I did find was a little bit of question, a little bit of oh, raised eyebrows, but I am, you know, incredibly proud that the community has embraced me no differently. I suppose that's because, uh, to be really blunt, I've got a thick skin and I don't care anymore. My journey to coming out was a very, very tough one, but I'm proud to say that I am who I am. And, you know, after 10 years of being in a same-sex relationship, I, you know, I wondered what I was thinking before. For me, it's all about celebrating who I am and wearing it just as a normal part of my life. It is just one of the aspects of my personality. It is just one of the wonderful parts of me, just like anybody else. And I have nothing to be ashamed for. I am incredibly thankful that we have moved a long way. We still have a long way to go, but I am incredibly mm. thankful that we are having the conversations that when I was a teenager, we were too scared to have. Uh, I have two teenagers now who are 15 and 17, and I'd openly discuss any sexual issue, anything about sexual preference or questions that they had without reservation or fear. But that's because I've been through something where I now know that that's important. So I would encourage all of your listeners and anyone listening to ensure that you always speak openly and speak your truth. Just don't be afraid to be who you are. You know, we're put on this planet to do one thing and that's be true to ourselves. So I can only encourage everybody it doesn't matter what your sexuality is, you still pay taxes and rates, just like everybody else. So you have the same rights, the same responsibilities, and the same you know, good and bad in society that we all expect. What I am proud of is that Australia is finally changing. 
What I still remain concerned about is some of the stigma and attitudes that we still see at work. And it's no different in councils. You know, there are some great examples of some really pro LGBTQI councils across Victoria. And there are some that are probably still struggling to get there, but they are trying and the industry, if I can say, is trying very hard to show much more acceptance, tolerance and advocacy for our community. So I am thankful about that but there are still some old attitudes and stigmas that we have to work even harder to break down. What I am concerned about hearing out of today is that sex work is still being stigmatised. And the one thing I want to say to all of your listeners, that has to end. We have to, as a society, whatever our sexual orientation, whatever our experience or lack of experience with sex work, we have to end the stigmatizing of sex workers. It is just like any other legal job. It really is. And thank you so much for your inspirational, motivational words, because, you know, people like even myself and Sassy, we need to hear that. We need to remember that it is okay to be sex workers. It's a profession that doesn't dictate who we are as people. Just from listening to you speak, even with our conversation prior to today's recording, look, we are just excited if you ever end up writing a book. (laughs) The three of us here at Behind Closed Doors are willing to read and learn so much from all the challenges you've overcome in your life. Clearly, you've done very well given that you're the president of Ratepayers Victoria. Well, it's a pleasure. I I think anything you do in community, and and look, you're no different. You're all serving your community and giving back the best way you can. Volunteering and doing something for those who haven't got a voice or need a strong voice to help them is the most important thing we can do with our lives. We all have jobs. We all have things that we need to do. We all want, you know, nice things in life and a comfortable life. But when we advocate for somebody who is voiceless or has had bad experience, that is the most noble and the most satisfying thing we can do. And I really want to say to all of your listeners, a huge thank you to all of you for sticking together. And more importantly, for Sassy and for Kitty and for Dean, thank you so much for serving the community the way you do. We need heroes like you who will actually put yourself out there and advocate for those who may be a little scared to come out of the shadows or feel that little bit extra stigmatized and the more we can talk about it the less stigma there is and it makes me really proud when we can do something for other people thank you so much dean and you know one of the most important questions we have is obviously we've got local elections coming up so how can people learn and get more information about their local council So look, there's a couple of really good initiatives. Like I'm aware if you really are looking for an advocate who's LGBTQI friendly, you can go to rainbowvotes.com.au and they actually have pledges from candidates where you can see whether they've pledged in particular ways and whether that fits with your own value system. But more importantly, in all of the ballots, each candidate has what's called a 300 word statement and their photo. And despite all the junk mail that you'll get in your letterbox, you know, telling you to vote for this one or vote for that one, some people may not want to go through all of that at least read all of the 300 words that each candidate has actually said and look for those that you think will do a couple of things really advocate for the diversity in our communities you know whether it's mums dads gay trans what is that person looking to do to advocate for everybody equally how are they going to spend money are they someone who would spend it really wisely and would you give them your money to spend and what's their track record of serving their community what are they doing it for if they're doing it for the photo opportunity and the plaque and and the name 
no, nah, not interested. If they're doing it because they really want to spend a lot of time and not get a lot of reward, but want to serve their community, then they're the kinds of people that we want to see in local government. People who are selfless and who are there to ensure that no one is left behind. Wow, I'm, I'm really glad that I came for this interview today. I'm so inspired with your positive messages and so much information. How do people get in touch with you if they feel they need to? Sure. We obviously advocate across the state and work very hard with both local governments and state governments. Any of your listeners can go to our website, ratepayersvictoria.com.au. Contact details are on there. They can join, they can follow, they can read. And really all we want to do is be a voice for the three and a half million ratepayers and the millions of residents that sit across all of those 79 councils and fund them to the tune of $10 billion annually. That's a lot of money and we want to make sure that they are treated very well and that they have exceptional experiences with their local council. It's been really fabulous having you on our show, Dean. Thank you so much for coming on Behind Closed Doors. My absolute pleasure. Thank you very, very much. We also want to say thank you to all the sex workers and particularly a sex worker ally who alerted us via Twitter to the activities of Brimbank City Council in relation to illegal brothels. We also want to say a big thank you to our sex work peer-led group, Sex Work Law Reform Victoria, for assisting us with the background research on Brimbank City Council and the way local governments are responding to suspected illegal brothels. So Dean, before we end our show today, what song would you like to share with our listeners? Probably uh, shout Tears for Fears. It's kind of one of those iconic anthems that really speaks to a lot of people about, you know, being truthful and getting it out there. Tune into the station that gives voices to sex workers. Subscribe to 3CR.
quite simply, it's about protest. It's about making a noise about things, either politically or socially, that disturb you. For instance, nuclear weapons or, or whatever. When I wrote it, I found it quite therapeutic just to sing these words, these are the things I can do without. And uh, I think that's has been part of its appeal to a lot of people. Initially, it was just a chorus, and the idea I had at the time was that it would be a kind of mantra thing and it would be repeated over and over again. I went round to his house one day and he was working in his dining room downstairs and he just played it and I don't know, it took weeks to convince him that it was any good. But uh, there was something about the way he sang it that, you know, you can tell when he's giving something. And I played it to him and he said, um, that's, that's a worldwide smash. I said, you've got to be joking. It was the first record, the first single that uh, we'd release, which I'm totally happy with. There's nothing that I'll change on it, I think. It's the best version of the song we could have done. I'm talking to you. 